seven financial ripoffs you need to know about. Get scared. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Restoring order to your financial chaos. Retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial questions. He's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Did you just whisper into the microphone? <laughs> fresh haircut crew. <laughs> fresh haircut We both crew. got fresh haircuts today. We already, it's already the pre-show live show. People were given bow credit for the fresh haircut. Didn't notice these sideburns were also well, high and tight. Here's what, you and I have had this conversation. Like we never really used to think about this on recording days, but now that this is out on YouTube and kind of can live for weeks and months and years out there, you can't go on with like a crazy haircut or some like bogus outfit or some crazy thing going on. You have to be a little more like aware of that because once it's out there, it's out there and it stays out there. So it, I think it matters now. So uh, yeah, your haircut looks great. I think that's great. Uh, <laughs> By the way, are we not supposed to whisper into the... No, whisper into the well, it's just funny because I just can't, you know, when Reeves, when she goes to like edit the audio to make it all sound <laughs> perfect, she'd be like, she can do like edit the whole thing except for that one whisper. She's going to have to like way amp up. So let's get into what we're going to be talking about. We really, financial ripoffs, big deal, so much so that when we did the pre-show meeting two weeks, I guess it was a week and a half ago, and um, we came up with the idea, and then I think it was you came, or Rebe was going back through, and she goes, guys, y'all did a financial ripoff show in mm-hmm. September of 2018. I was like, oh, no, we probably have done, is it the exact same yeah, things? Because yeah. we came up with this organically, and we were worried that it was a lot of overlap. And then I realized, no, there's four of the seven things were completely brand new. I've decided that financial ripoffs, we could pretty much do a show quarterly. These things pop up like whack-a-mole. That's right. I mean, you really could do shows on how many financial ripoffs, how many people are trying to get into your back yep. pocket, and how you need to protect yourself. And, and it, the big part of what drives me on this is that I know when I get ripped off, I feel like a chump. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that really is the word that came to my mind is that I've disappointed because every dollar needs to have a purpose, needs to have a plan. But when you get ripped off, that dollar that went and got scammed or ripped off never will reach its full potential. So I went and looked up, what's the definition? I went on Google and said, what's the definition of chump? Okay. So here's, here's what all-knowing all Google tells us. Quote, a foolish or easily deceived person. Nobody wants to be Nobody in that category. Nobody wants to fall in that category. Now, none of your army of dollar bills want to fall in that category either. So let's kind of jump into these. Here's, here's the seven number. I want to get into these because I know I'm worried this show will run long. Sure. So I'm trying to make sure that we're respectful of everybody's because I've realized a lot of people don't know the difference between full shows, highlight shows. If you come here and you're watching these go, man, I cannot believe this is a 40-minute show. We do highlight shows. That's right. You might like that better. <laughs> if you come here and go, man, I can't believe this is only a seven-minute show. We do full shows that go 45 to 50 minutes. So hang in there. We're so, Goldilocks. We got something for everybody. Yeah, I love we're it. trying to make it all, all for all people. Number one, the media. Guys, okay, media. I've, I've, I've been on Twitter about this recently, and I'm trying not to, because I think Twitter has turned into the troll farm. Sure. And I don't want to be a troll farm. So you'll notice on Twitter, we purposefully try to stay positive. Mm-hmm. But when Yahoo Finance, I think it might have been Fox News or CNBC, because I get alerts from all of them. Sure. I'm an equal opportunity. Give me alerts. <laughs> and they all talk about stumble. They always talk about, you know, market getting tumbled. Yep. You know, it's all these adjectives. It's almost like they pull out their ad lib and figure out what Adelib will scare the heck out of everybody because they really are fear mongers. If you think about what is the media these days, they are fear mongers. And then a lot of you are probably thinking, no, 
the media, and it doesn't have to be just financial media. It could be your nightly news. Yep. It could be your, your national news. It's even turned into the morning shows that you're drinking your coffee, supposed to be feeling really good about life. They've even gotten That's where they're exactly somewhat right. fear mongers. And it's, it's one of those things is that I realized a long time ago, the purpose of the media and the financial media specifically is not to educate. I think we all have this rosy feeling that the media is our friends. They're trying to help us. But you find out that their real purpose is get your eyeballs and generate some revenue. And dare I say, they, they care actually much more about the eyeballs than they do uh, accurate reporting. I mean, how many times do we see things that come out and it turns out it has to be redacted because it was actually not even a real thing? I've in the got, in a minute, I'm going to give you some stats on that that tells, because I think it's turned into now it's all political. Right. That people, when you hear fake news, you think that's a political thing. That is not the way this actually, I'll show you, I have data that tells you why things are falling apart for the media. So, but the first you need to know how big of a, a market this is that they're trying to sell advertising, they're not trying to educate you. TV ad spending is expected in 2019 to be 70.8 billion dollars. That was billion with a B, correct? Yeah. I mean, it, and, and look, every one of these people that's um because there's main advertisers. You think about the the adult beverage industry, mm -hmm. think about auto manufacturers, you think about oil and gas. Think about when you watch the nightly news, who are the people that are advertising? And that gives you a, a big big insight into who's trying to push products and other things on you and who has influence over the media. Well, and also, I've talked about this on the show in the, in the shows in the past. There is a premise in media that is true. If it bleeds, it leads. If it I know, bleeds, it, it leads. bleeds. And it's, it's a public term because the media is not trying to get you to understand. They're trying to almost get you so fearful to create anxiety that your solution is going to come from them. And that's going to keep you, if they can put enough cliffhangers in there, if they can put enough things in there to scare you, you will continue to tune in. You will continue to come back. You will continue to keep the process going. Yeah, and what I find so frustrating about this is it's really easy to think about in terms of the nightly news. Because sometimes, or at least these days, it seems like it's so, um, it, it, it's just so sensationalized, so mm -hmm. big. What we've actually been frustrated is even if even if you have respectable sources that you like to use, whether it's blogs or podcasts or articles, the whole game of how you get your information in front of folks has changed. Yeah. It's not just about saying, hey, here's what I'm going to talk about today. Click on this link. You, you actually have to participate in that. You have to like mold the way that you name your articles or do your headlines or write your taglines so that you can actually get out in front of people. We, we, I hate it because so much, sometimes people say that was a clickbait title. Guys, you're right. We're not immune from this. Is in this crazy world that we're in right now, if you don't come up with a snappy title that will get clicks, the algorithm just doesn't pay you any That's attention. Right. So exactly. it's one of those things where, and I don't like that. Mm -hmm. You know, They never, by the way, when you guys pick, talk about clickbait, you realize you're not talking about Bo, you're not talking about Brian. We don't come up with any titles. <laughs> we come up with the content, we record the show. We have a whole team that then goes out there and says, yeah, th this show's about ripoffs, but Brian will never get any viewers if we go with this title say, he wrote if, here. If we did the titles, we will, there'd be no, we'd be screaming into an empty and it, void And right it really now. is because, realize, there's two purposes to the bleed it leads, is that they're really, they're trying to grab your attention, but then they also need to create this sense of fear so that you will tune back for the solution. And I always, I want to give some examples of what I was talking yep. about here. And I, all I had to do was think about what is my nightly news try to scare sure. me with. The, the, two, the two to three that came to mind was, Recently here in Nashville, 
that for a whole week, the local news media was telling you how dangerous elevators were and how to protect yourself. Right. Are you kidding me? Because how many people are really, I mean, they, they made you feel like every building you went into in Nashville was going to get trapped on an elevator and you're going to have to do all kind of crazy things to protect yourself. And I just think about, how, you know, how long I've been riding an elevator. Have you ever had like a, like a really traumatic negative no. elevator experience? No. But if you were to see that article, you would think, oh man, I, I really need well, to question. Well, but it's a small space, it's hot, it's That's uncomfortable because right. you're in there with strangers. It appeals to all the things that scare you to death. How dangerous is your tap water? <laughs> I mean, we've all this, heard that yeah, one. Yeah. Or how dirty are hotel rooms? Oh, that's. I mean, a big, these that, are everybody out there because realize we're in Nashville, Tennessee. But this doesn't matter when we lived in Atlanta. We have clients and listeners out in Oregon. Mm -hmm. They're all like, "Yeah, my news media does that same headline." You know why? Because they sell those packages. That's they right. have consultants that come around and try to scare heebie-jeebie packages to you, so you just you get nervous about things. Other anxiety-creating tricks that the news media is doing to you. That. That crawl, that ticker, that crawl down oh, at the yeah, bottom, at the very bottom that, that usually has very thought-provoking or scary headlines to try to keep you to stick around, even yep. when the weather's on now. Notice that a lot of them are running the crawl still. And then the second thing, you notice they say breaking news. It just kind of boom, or you that, know, it just slings yep. on there. And it's the same story they talked about 10 minutes ago, but they're trying to keep your attention. That's right. Um, you know, that led to, but here's some of the data I wanted to give you about the, the media so you know what's going on. Their revenue is getting crushed. Um, the New York Times, for example, 2013, this is an article on, from 2013 on the New York Times. Their ad revenue in 2006 was $1.27 billion. Okay. The article, like I said, is a 2013 article. The revenue in 2012 was $711 million. So from 2006, six years later, we dropped from almost $1.3 billion. Almost in half. Almost in half to $700 million. And then I will tell you, because that same ad where I gave you the stat on the previous page that the TV spending was at $70.8 billion, which was only, it was a drop of 2.2% from 2018. In that same article, print ad revenue was down in 2019, 17.8%. Yep. So I, I don't have context for how that relates to the 711, right. but it's just know that it's hard times for the news media. And that's led to several things that I want to just bring you yep. aware, make you aware of. And then let's talk about what the money guy way is so you don't get ripped off sure. and avoid this rip off is there's what's called native ads. Okay. These are ad, you, native ads. What's a native ad? You, you hear that? It's a, by definition, it's a paid ad that matches the look, feel, and function of the media format in which they appear. Unlike display ads or banner ads, native ads don't really look like ads at all. So you have no idea that it's actually an advertisement. It's something that's paid for placement that's made to look like a real news story, a real, real piece of breaking information, but it is disguised so well you have no idea that's what it is. It's exactly right. So it's really paid advertising because mm -hmm. that's what they, they have sponsored content that is now making into the normal media. Yep. And that, that's just scary. Um, and, and then, Bo, I, I like every time we do a 401k presentation, mm -hmm. We always say be very careful of the of just listening to the media in general right. because they don't they don't have a crystal ball any That's better right. than anybody else does. Do you have some examples yeah, to kind of show them yeah, on I some think of that? Well, here's what's so frustrating about it. we already said they care less about accuracy and more about eyeballs. There almost also seems like there's no repercussion to them being wrong. You don't get yep. sort of so we just thought let's go you know since we're a financial a financial show let's go pull some financial headlines that we've seen in recent memories. Look at these. All right, so. 
Uh, this Business Week article. That, that one's from the 70s. That came out in the 70s saying the death of equities. It, it seems to me like, <laughs> if I remember, there was something in the 80s and 90s that went pretty well for the stock market. had some pretty good bull markets market since the 70s. Seems like that went really well. But look at this. If you want to talk about just, well, it, well, it goes both sides. The hottest markets. Mm-hmm. So it's not only, they don't just always try to scare you into selling. They also... They try to encourage you to buy even when it's probably not in your best interest. Yep. And then the last, I like this, is because politics. Yep. We, we assume, you know, they go both ways. But look at this. I thought this was interesting. Read both of those headlines. Yeah, but. so this this is from November 14, 2012. Market sell-off after Obama's re-election. No accident. Recession coming. <laughs> it is pending. I, I don't know if you guys know this, but 2013 was a pretty pretty positive year. In the year. I mean, market. it was definitely a double-digit return year. Well, they got that wrong. So how about let's fast forward to now October of 2016, Economist, a Trump win would tank the markets. It would absolutely <laughs> tank the markets. Well, I don't know if you've paid attention in the last few years. The markets have not exactly tanked. And that, they and just, it's they don't just crazy. They, they don't get it, and they don't get it right, which is so frustrating. And it's not a Republican or Democrat statement. It's just showing that it's both ways they were wrong with it. So don't don't fall into the fake news camp. Just know that there's some desperation with the news media. Right. So what's the money guy way? And here's what we came up with is you got to educate yourself so you can tell that what is information and what is noise. Right. And unfortunately, we're now in a verify before you trust situation. Just like you used to go grocery shopping. Now maybe youngsters don't have to do this, but Old guys like me, when you're, you you used to think there's a difference between normal media and tabloid media. Okay. And you used to, when you went on the grocery store and you went to the checkout line, that's where tabloid media hung okay, out. Okay, yeah. Unfortunately, normal media has kind of become more like tabloid media, so you have to treat it accordingly. Um, just be very careful and, about where money's coming from. And, and I think I think this is a really big, scary one, too, that we have to be so careful of these days. Because we are such a plugged-in society into social media, whether it be Facebook or Twitter or YouTube or fill-in-the-blank, just because you see an article pop up or you see some information come across your feed does not mean that's something that you should act on, something you should take exactly. as facts, something you should use to inform how you make financial decisions. So just like you said, you have to verify before you trust a source, before you trust information. And then follow the money. Oh, that's What is the motivation? Yep. What is the motivation for them to do it? I mean, look, we are part of the media voice out there. I yep. mean, we bloggers, podcasters, YouTube creators, we all kind of fit into this new media. Yep. But ask, what is the motivation? What's the money that is driving these guys? I can tell you, we're very transparent. We have this thing we call the abundance cycle. Right. We give it away. We want you to become so successful that when you get to the point of complexity and success that you need somebody to look over your shoulder, you'll come to us. That puts us on the same side of the table of success. I'm not so sure it always works that way with other financial media people Completely out there. Agreed. So let's move on to number two. The second financial ripoff that you need to be aware of. Ripoff. <laughs> I know you I know you're like, don't do it. Did any of, did any of us think it wasn't gonna happen? I had to did do it. Did any of us I mean, really it think is it was gonna happen? Financial salespeople are ripoffs. And I look, yep. I come from a commission background because that's what everybody came from if you've been doing this game long enough. Yep. But I recognize really quick that it, it it's not cool when you're in an industry where you're nervous about everybody thinking you're trying to sell them something. Yep. And I just did not want to be in it. I wanted to be a consultant. Right. I come from a public accounting background before I got into financial planning. And I just did not like how icky it felt to be a financial salesperson. That's exactly right. But by the way, they don't call themselves financial salespeople. That's our word. That's They're going to call themselves them. financial advisor just like we're financial advisors. That's right. It, it, it's just one of those scary things. So and, and here's the thing. 
is so bad that they're not going to call themselves financial salespeople, but they're also going to make their advice seem like it's more of a consulting gig to that, you. That's it, right. And and what what we think is so frustrating about that is that most often, if they're a fi- truly a financial salesperson, they care more about their bottom line than your bottom line. Yeah, it's all about selling and getting the commission. That's exactly right. I mean, if, if you, t- I'm going to pick on one industry just because it drives me crazy. Whole life insurance, a lot of the permanent insurance marketplace in general. There could be a, a use for it, but a lot of times the vast majority is straight up to sell products. That's right. But whole life insurance is is on purpose complicated. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it really is. It could be much simpler than what it is, but I think they feel like they have to spin your head because the more the complication, the more you spin your head, you'll glaze over and you'll quit asking questions mm-hmm. That's right. and understanding. And it's, uh, you can also see in the pricing of the product. You can buy the same insurance with term life insurance for $5 for a 30 or 40 year old versus $100 if you're looking at the pricing because we've looked at that on so a 40 year old. So I'm going to say that again. So two, the same amount of benefit, if you were to croak, it would pay out whatever, a million dollars. As long as you died within that 20 year period of term that terms provides, right. it's $5 versus $100 for the exact same insurance. And it's not like it's insurance that is, what, 20 times better than the term insurance? Not at all. And I even think it's so interesting when someone comes to us, Brian, and they say, oh, hey, I have a 30-year term policy. We kind of understand what that means. We don't have to ask them the question. Somebody says, oh, I have permanent insurance. We have to say, oh, is it whole life? Is it variable universal life? Is it universal life? What are the riders? It's just like you said, it's so complicated for the sake of being complicated. They, the per, and when, when I was asked the question, hey, why did you buy this? What was the reasoning behind this? More often than not, we get, oh, well, I just I had this buddy from college and he told me that I should buy this and it made sense and may not have been the best thing for you to, to I, not I don't, get ripped off. I don't want to pick on all the financial, because I know some of these financial salespeople listen to the show. And I got, look at the camera. I know you want a way out. Mm-hmm. And I, I just want to give you a word of caution because I, I talk to you guys, you write us. And I know we've even hired some people who've worked on the commission side of the business is that be very careful because I know a lot of you, especially you start understanding, you, you didn't know any better when you started selling it. And then as you get educated, you understand financial products because th- there's a very an entire industry that instead of teaching you how to be a good financial planner, within the first three to six months, they will have you out there selling That's products. Right. So you don't even know you might have been doing something completely different. Yep you know, six months ago, but as you start learning the industry, just be careful burning your friends, family, relatives before you truly become an expert because that that's just dangerous. I want you to look at me as Mr. Miyagi. I mean, you come here when we hire new associates. I just, I just pictured Brian doing wax on, wax off. See, I don't, I don't I tell saw. you things I'm going to put in here because I know I need to get your honest reaction. I am Mr. Miyagi. When we bring associates on here at, at, at Bound Wealth, they do spend the first two or three years, they're waxing on, yep. waxing That's off. Right. I mean, they're working on all these basics. Yep. Meanwhile, over at Cobra Kai, they're, they're teaching you know, leg sweeps. They're teaching all the things that are inappropriate. But yeah, you get paid a lot because there's big commissions, there's big payoffs, yep. but you're not doing it right. And it's just, it, that, that, that bothers me. So we want to give you the money guy way when you're dealing with commission salespeople. I, I think that's great. So we even had just had a quick, if you're not, if you're not, if you're out there listening on uh, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, we do this thing live on YouTube every other Tuesday. And we have a live chat going. Sterling asked a great question and I want to get this question okay, out. So it says, well, what about financial advisors provided free by your employer? Is that a ripoff? Well, it kind of depends. So now 
let's tell them the money guy way of what the question you should ask if you're thinking about an advisor, how to tell if an advisor really is in your best interest. The first thing you need to ask any advisor, and this has gotten, this was all over the media about two years ago, but now it's died down because I think the commission guys pretty much won. You need to find out, ask anybody you're interviewing, and I don't care if it's your employer provided, do you have a fiduciary legal obligation to me on the advice you're providing? So Brian, what is a fiduciary obligation? It means legally that I have to put your interest ahead of my own, meaning you're putting the client's interest ahead of your own. And if you don't, you can be sued and have legal ramifications for it. So not all financial advisors have to operate under that standard, right? So some, the advice they give can be incidental to the products That's they sell, exactly right? right? So it doesn't have to be in the best interest, it just has to be suitable, right? There's a whole clause called a suitability clause where they can give you advice, but the advice might be incidental to them selling you products. It's just hidden. You just don't know it. So that's why you've got to get to the point and ask the question, are you a fiduciary or or is your advice just kind of incidental to you selling me something? Look, here's another question that I just think is great. This isn't even the show notes, but I just want to hit this real quick. It is okay to ask a financial advisor how do you get paid? Yeah. If you're empl- How much will you make off of this? If your employer is offering you a financial advisor for free, you ought to ask them the question, okay, well, why are you doing this? And if the answer is, oh, well, we're an employee benefit, the company pays us, that's one thing. If it's, oh, well, we're going to make it from the products the company pays us, you may just want to ask a few additional questions. Always, always, always follow the money. Based upon Sterling's question, you know, I was on a school board for seven years, mm-hmm. and there was a lot of insurance companies that were trying to get into the school system because we had thousands of employees because it was a large school system and they would always be like we'll do this for you we'll offer you a free flexible spending account we'll offer you as long as our agents get to come in there and sit down with each one of your employees and talk about their insurance needs and that that used to burn me up because yeah they were giving you a flexible spending account but then they were going to go sell whole life insurance right. to every one of your teachers so or a 403B with a bunch of variable annuities. Just not good stuff. So be very careful. Remember, wax on, wax off, not leg sweeps. We save the crane kicks for um, the experts when you actually become a client <laughs> of, of Abound Wealth. So let's move on. Number three. Payday loans and rent to own. So I think this one you could have done your... Rip off. There you go. Because here's is. the thing. We actually sent... Intern Dan. By the way, Intern Dan is on vacation, but before he went on vacation, he had a well-earned undercover task. Okay. I feel like we had to like, don't, don't, you know, some Mission Impossible music or something, (laughs) because we really did send Intern Dan out into the front lines to get us information, because here's what I realized. Payday loans, we all know, it's a bad deal. You hear things, you're like, payday loans, but I was like, Bo, I don't know really how payday loans work. I don't know what they charge. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I can find an article. I mean, this is kind of confessional on us because it's just, it's not something that we've dealt wealthy with people. A whole lot. We work with wealthy people. We have resources. I have never dealt with a payday loan because I don't think wealthy people struggle with payday loans. So, but that doesn't mean we don't need to cover and talk about it. And then every day when I drive to work, we're in downtown Franklin, Tennessee, which is just south of Nashville. We're one of the wealthiest communities in the country. Sure. And I drive right by a payday lender. Every single now, day on the wait, way. Wait, I have to qualify that based upon under, you know, intern Dan's research. They're not payday lenders. They offer flexible loans. Oh, They okay. are a flexible okay. lending source. Flexible, flexible lending, lending source. source. So, so let it. me tell you what intern Dan found out in his undercover investigation. So he reached out to two local lenders 
because we told him to. Uh-huh. We kind of pushed him forward and made him do this. The first one refused to give him any information. I think he could sense. Now, he did not call from our caller ID because I was first, I was like, they hung up on you. And he's like, yeah, I was like, did you call from our, our phone number? Did they <laughs> it see, shows up did they see wealth. abound wealth on the caller ID? Is that what they hung Because no, I was smart enough. I called from my own phone. But they, they first one would not give him any information as he started asking right. questions. That is a clue. Something's probably not right. Okay. Second one. Did give him some information. Not all of it, but we got enough before they kind of clued in that Dan was kind of getting information here. So here's what Daniel was able to find out. This this is their quote. Usually, because he asked what the fees were, usually it only costs 77 cents per $100 borrowed per day. Oh, well, 77 cents per $100, that doesn't sound so bad. That sounds minuscule even. Fortunately, we own a calculator. (laughs) Because if you do 77 cents a day, for the whole year. That's a 281% interest rate. 281%. Why didn't they lead with that? That's, that's the flexible loan. That's my, not a payday. Payday loans are bad, but flexible loans flexible much loan be service. better at 281% per year. It's only 77 cents per day on the $100 that you borrow. Unbelievable. So, and you can, by the way, the loans can be as little as $25. Who is borrowing $25? up to 4000 These things are straight up a ripoff. They are, you are a loan shark at these places. And I don't understand how in one of the wealthiest communities in the country, we have one of these things. I could go probably jog without breaking too much of a sweat and I could hit this place. Yeah, you know, it's that's just right over the street right here. here. Yep. So that, that's But horrible. what do they say? You can get the money the same day. That's what they tout. Uh, you don't need a credit check or anything, just proof of some sort of income. And then they run an algorithm to determine how much you can pay back. The fact that it's that easy should tell you something's not right about this. Something just doesn't smell quite right. So you must be thinking, well, if they have one of these in this wealthy community, if we have, I just went to Dollywood this past weekend. That's a whole other story. (laughs) Saw a bunch of paid, same company that's here, I saw on my way to Dollywood. And um, you you say, well, somebody's got to be stopping these things. So here's what the research shows on some payday loan stats or flexible loan stats. In the past two years, 11% of Americans have taken out a loan with one of these organizations. That's one in 10, Bo. Hold on. One in 10. So here's what I said. You know, our team has grown here. We're now in the double digits on our team here at Abound. And like there, you know, statistically, if you went around one person in the on there the team, there's no way anybody. I would be so disappointed if I found out anybody from the Abound Wealth team ever had a pay. I agree. Like I said, you just don't. But, but it, just think about that one in yeah. ten. That 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 is an alarming statistic to me. Uh, but I bet it's not one out of ten of Money Guy listeners. I'm willing to bet that that's not the case. Before I give you the Money Guy way on how to avoid these things, let's talk about another sibling to payday or flexible loans okay. is rent to own. Okay. These things are everywhere too, by yep. the way. When because. I think there's there's industries that you know are in your neighborhood, or you do like there's no way that's near me. But then you do a Google search and you just type in rent to own around me, and you're like, there's oh, four wow. of these yeah. places within you know five miles. How is that possible? Rent to own. How, how does it work? What does that? What does rent to own mean? Well, I mean, it's it, it, kind of what they're. It's pretty self. You know, these are the the rental places. Instead of you owning your already horrible purchase of furniture right. and electronics. Because we all have boxes of electronics that we just ought to throw away right. because things get obsolete, you know, obsolescence happens so quickly. Yep. Instead of owning those things and losing rapidly, you could rent them. So you could pay for them for, for, for many times over and many months. It's just the gift that keeps on giving them. We actually, intern Dan did a great slide PlayStation 4. Okay. Now, first of all, 
once you get busy, look, I love video games. So don't, don't read too much into this. But as soon as I had kids, I kind of quit being able to play video games. Right. You just got kind of busy. Get busy. Doing other you stuff. get busy with life and you get busy being productive. So, uh, uh, you know, I found out that a PlayStation 4, what does it cost, Bo? Uh, PlayStation 4, if you wanted to buy it outright today, you could go buy it for $368.99. $368. But if you want the convenience of turning this time suck into a horrible ripoff decision, just go rent it at a place. We looked this up. We had intern Dan yeah. also do some undercover research on this. And what is a PlayStation 4 if you want to rent to own it cost? Well, here's the pitch that I would give you, right? Instead of owning this thing for 370 because who wants to spend 370 If all you want to spend is 100 bucks, you can have this PlayStation today. Then all you have to do is pay me 100 bucks every month for the next 12 months. Wow. And you can rent to own a PS4 for $1,199. So you're paying over three times what it costs. Simply to pay one-third of it at the time of purchase. You can do this. It's not only with PlayStations. It's all kind of electronics that you make bad decisions on. Like a Galaxy 8 notebook is $3,200, $3,100. I think that's like three times what that costs normal, right? All these things are horrible decisions. So let's talk about what the money guy way is. How do you, obviously, guys, avoid payday loans, avoid rent-to-own programs. This is predatory programs and lending. And, and it, this think, is the lowest of low. And it preys on people who have nowhere else to turn, right? So so I, I, if you've had to use this or you're in that situation, this is not so much an indictment on you as the fact that there are predatory folks out there that are willing to take advantage of you. So we want to talk about how can you prepare yourself to not be in the situation where your last resort really is your last resort. So we, we kind of created a real quick checklist. Okay. Now, Bo put one on here that I thought was kind of mean. It's the, <laughs> it's the first one on here. It's in all caps because that's his input was, have an adequate emergency fund. The, the best way to avoid having financial emergencies is to have an emergency fund. That's, that's that a thing. duh. So, you know, you, you, if you don't want to do payday loans, just have an have emergency, emergency reserves. But we're, we're, number two is you, you probably, whoever you owe the money, if you're in such dire straits, that you're in a bad situation that you think you might need to do a payday loan or a flex loan, whatever they're calling these things, it might make sense. Like if it's a credit card company, call them. If it's the IRS, you can set up. It's not ideal, but you can usually ask for a payment plan from whoever you owe the money to. And usually the payment plan is going to be better than the flex loan. That's right. Because what happens is if you're living paycheck to paycheck where you need these things, you're going to get behind because you're thinking, okay, when I get my next paycheck, I'll get caught up. Mm -hmm. But you never get caught up. You not, just start not digging. Not 281% interest. It's just bad. So then go to, if you can't get a payment plan, go to a credit union. Local oh, yeah. credit unions yep. sometimes have even more flexibility than your normal brick and mortar right. banks. And we, we, are, we work with a number of credit unions. They really are kind of your, they've taken the place of a lot of neighborhood banks yep. as your credit union. So go check that out. Peer-to-peer -peer lending. Look, oh. it's going to be higher interest rates. If you think about like Lending Club, mm -hmm. some of the, there's another one I can't, I'm blanking on the name uh, of it. Why, but, why don't we put that in the But the peer-to-peer -peer, peer -peer lending is um is a big deal. It's the the rates aren't great, but it's going to be but, much better but than what you can do. It's not two hundred and eighty one percent. That's the thing we're trying to avoid. Um, I hate to say it because if you if you're one of these people that gets asked, you need to treat this as a gift, not a loan. But you could ask family members right. if you're yeah. in that much of a dire situation. Help from family. Um, but like I said, if you're the one being asked, treat it like a gift That's if you're right. going to give them the money because lending money to relatives is usually not a great proposition. Um, you can ask for an advance from your employer. If I had, if I found out one of my employees 
was in this much of a dire situation that they're willing to go do a $25 to $4,000 loan and pay 281%, I would gladly help them out. So Absolutely. go to, and I bet a lot of your employees would do the same thing. Then you know you're in a bad situation if the credit card is actually a better choice than going to a payday loan. We, we talked about it. The average interest rate on credit cards right now is 17.76%. And as bad as that is, it's better than 281%. And then last, credit counseling. Because guys, you got to get yourself where you never get in this situation again. So go educate yourself. Get yourself in a better place. Do not do payday loans, flex loans, right. or rent-to-own places. They are a disaster. Nothing good. It is truly rip-off. Now, this next one is one I think that when you hear this, I think your ears are going to perk up because you say, whoa, whoa you know, I didn't have to worry about a lot of those other ones, but this one, whoa, I, I have some interaction with this one. And But we have a system. Uh, make have, sure you're doing it right, of too. Of course so, we have a system. Number four, traditional brick-and-mortar banks. Ooh, so these are the big names you know. These are the ones you see on the corner when you're driving around town. Well, I have to, and I'm trying to be nice here because we, I, I see the email addresses of some of our, our audience. We got some, we got some employee, you know, some listeners that work for some of these brick and mortar banks. But hear me out on this, because this is the thing: traditional banks typically pay less interest right. and charge higher fees. That's, that, it that's just, true. It is what it is. And look, I'm, I have a account with one of these. I've had an account with one of these since I was like 15, yep. 16 years old. Maybe even younger yep. when I started like a savings account and my parents got a toaster oven or something. But it's, it's one of these things. But listen to this national average on a, a savings account from your traditional brick and mortar bank is 0.1%. The national 0.1%. average savings account is a measly 0.1%. Versus all day long, you can make over 2% on your cash FDIC insured money. Exactly. That that's disgustingly a huge spread there, guys. And I know you, when I tell this, when we anytime we have a prospect or anybody reach out, and I say, where, where are you keeping your cash reserves? If I find out you're at a traditional brick and mortar, I'm like, they're like, yeah, but it's just cash. This is not a big deal. I'm like, I guarantee you, there's probably enough interest that you could earn that you could take your whole family out for dinner. Well, we've seen something where there's enough interest that could be earned. They could go on vacation. Yeah. This would pay for a weekend trip for you and your family. With less than 20 minutes of your time to open an account, link it up, and do it. It's just not hard. It's Frankly, it's kind of lazy. And, and then think about this, fees. Because they're not only getting you on the interest, they're also getting you on some of the cost. The average checking account is charging around $97.8 in fees per year. Now, Brian, you and I have done this math all the time, right? We, th that says that the average is $97.80. I know two dudes that no. do not get charged any fees in their checking account because they monitor it religiously and they don't have that going. So that means if you take those two guys that I know out of the equation... We're skewing that number down. The average has got to be higher, right? I mean, there are folks out there that are running up fees. It just doesn't make sense to throw that money away. If you wanted to part with $100 per year that you just don't want, send it to us. We're happy to take it. That stat point came from NerdWallet. There was also... I had another one that came from back when... We, we've done this on banks before. 2017, I had a data point that the average American spent $329 on bank fees. So that means, like you said, we're not using, the, we're not spending that money on those fees. That means somebody's spending six, seven, eight hundred dollars right. a year on bank fees to get that average to three hundred twenty-nine. There's just no reason to be paying any any type of fees. So let's talk about the money guy way. And, and don't hear us wrong. We both just admitted we both have a relationship <clears throat> with a brick and mortar bank here in town. But we do it the money guy way, which we think is the right way. So here's what, because I want you to have convenience, because a lot of you guys go, you're, you're sitting here going, I hear you. 
I want to make more money, but I like the convenience of knowing if I need to go deposit a check or if I need access to cash, I just can go right down the street. I know that you're saying that. So here's the the money guy way is set up your win-win bank chain. So when I talk about a win-win bank chain... Did you come up with that idea? Yeah. The win-win bank chain? Well, I'm trying to be snappy these God, days. Gotta, this is all tying into y'all's clickbait strategies. We got to trade that. Win-win bank chain? That's genius. You I like that? Yes. Well, you didn't... You, he didn't... Reby, you notice he didn't say that in the show no prep. prep. He, he, waited, he saved that until we were on air. So like I like a, that. I'll, I'll take like the win. visual of a chain. Win-win bank chain? We'll put, uh, I'll put the win in the air. So... It, this is what you can do if you want to do the win win bank chain. Is that you can, It's okay if you want to go with a local, no fee mm-hmm. bank account. Yep. That's going to be kind of your housing, your convenience. You're not going to make a lot of money, but it's not going to cost you a lot of money. But it's going, and we have this. We have a local bank right. that we, well, local here in Texas. But um, it is a more of a community type bank. Yep. They were merged up. That's, That's the problem. Right. You, you join a local bank, they usually get merged up <laughs> in a few years. No, 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 it's more of a regional. But we have a local no fee bank account. Then you connect that to your online high yield FDIC insured bank account. And when you connect that online via the interwebs, you can move money back and forth. So it's not like that money's out there in the ethos you can't get to. You can literally, most of them will even move it same day, depending on what time you put the transaction. One to three days is typical, but it's not any trouble whatsoever to transfer money back and forth. You're going to still get all the great FDIC insurance. So that there's, you don't have to worry, are these banks going under? You're Mm -hmm. going to be okay. And then here's the other thing I always tell people, because this is a big fee protector. Make sure whatever bank you work with has some type of reimbursement on ATMs because one of the because ATMs have gotten to the point it's not like a dollar it's not a dollar fifty it's like three fifty on this side it might be two dollars on this side you might have an ATM fee that's six dollars if your bank reimburses you every month for those ATM charges you're gonna save a lot of money and that probably makes up the majority of that three hundred twenty nine dollars in fees that banks get the very first uh, a uh, very first banking relationship I had I picked my bank based on how many of them were around the town that I lived in so that I could get to the ATMs. You know, that used to be a thing, especially in college. You want to be able to go to the ATM and get money out if you needed to. Well, now it's so much better if you just have a bank that says, hey, it doesn't matter what ATM you go to, we got you. Yeah. We'll refund the fees. You don't have to play crazy reindeer games with where banks are in relationship to you. You know you have access to all ATMs because you will get reimbursement. Makes your life so much easier. Exactly right. Definitely. Money guys, set up your win-win bank chain. You're going to do great. Oh, we got it. Trademark that, Reeves. That's a good one. It sounds like chitty chitty bang bang, you know, because, uh, you know, the old, never mind. We'll, we'll move on. Number well, five. Well, he lost me there. <laughs> I mean, that's how old I am. <laughs> Reeby, did you follow that one? No? A little bit? Too Disney nerd there? All right, number five. Number five, credit cards. So this one, oh, what is it, Brian? It's a ripoff. <laughs> Could be a ripoff. It could be because we've done and, and we've done a lot of shows recently on debt talking about we've we have we have let you guys know what we think about credit cards. We've told you that they may not be the most advantageous thing if if you don't use them correctly. Remember, we've said this. It's almost like it's a, a broken record in the fact that there is no such thing as credit card debt. Mm-hmm. You can have credit card use. But no credit card debt, because credit card debt, rip off. That's exactly right. Rip off. Just know it. that's what it's going to do for you. But here's why I do want, because a lot of people, let me refresh your memory on why it's a rip off. 
Average interest rate right now, 17.76%. Right. For people who actually carry a credit card balance, the average is around 16,883. So it's right there, right under 17,000. I know the national average is much lower, but there's a lot of people that aren't paying credit card interest. That's right. So you need to be in that category so you're not one of these people that has $17,000 worth of credit card debt. And they're a ripoff because the interest is just not worth what you're getting. 17.76%, you're not gonna make that on your investments. Nope. So if you're not gonna make that on your investments, you don't need to be paying somebody. It's not deductible, so you can't even say, oh, there's some tax benefit to it. You've turned compounding interest on its ear. It's actually exactly working right. against you instead of working for you. So it's just not making sense. Now, credit card use, I will tell you, I think that credit card use has a lot of conveniences. Think about it, they have cash back, have some type of rewards, extended warranties. Huge. Um, I went, as I told you guys, I went to Dollywood just this past weekend. I know Mickey Mouse probably thinks I'm cheating on him <laughs> a little bit, but you know, I do love me some Dolly Parton too. We went to the water park, and even though I had a, a locker for the huh? majority of our, 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 our you know, possessions belongings and, and belongings and things and towels and so forth, there were a few things that we just left in the chair. Guess what one of them was while I went in the water? Credit cards. You know why? Didn't care. You steal my credit cards, I'm not going to be paying the bill on it. Somebody else. I mean, it's one of those things you're going to be protected. Uh, so I didn't care if somebody stole my credit card. It was okay. Nobody did, by the way. Great group of people at Dollywood. But it was one of those things I just wasn't worried. But sometimes you do go on shady websites, like a good deal. If you go do a price grabber and you're trying to find the best price or, or even frugal or Google, mm -hmm. you know, their shopping portals. You, you, sometimes you'll be like, should I buy from this website? And you know, you, you, you don't want to use your ATM card. Yeah. So it's better to use a credit card. But now let's give a nod, right? So we said that, uh, so credit card debt is the ripoff, right? That, yep. That's the real ripoff. And we just gave a bunch of positive uses for credit cards. However, however, you're going to throw the however, cold water on credit cards. I'm aren't just going to say there is some anecdotal evidence out there that would suggest for certain folks they might tend to spend more if they are spending with a credit card than if they're spending with cash. You know, tactically, every time you swipe it, it doesn't disintegrate. With cash, you actually feel it leaving your hands. So yes, a credit card could be a ripoff for you if it entices you to spend more than you might otherwise. Intern Dan went and pulled two data points. It's a mixed bag in my book, but I'm going to give them to you because I want you guys to know we don't just hide stuff from you. We'll be transparent. He found a stat that in 2018, there was a research study that people were willing to spend 83% more on sporting tickets when they paid with a credit card. So, you know, we're right here in the home of the Nashville Predators, go Preds. If we wanted to go to a Predators game, we would spend more on those tickets if we were going to swipe than if we were going to pay cash. But can I be honest? That, one, that, that data point seems a little sketchy for me because the only other way you can buy in cash is to approach the guy who's walking around, <laughs> some <laughs> shady guy on a corner that you're approaching. So... Darn right, probably everybody who's worried about their safety doing that one. is going to pay with a credit card. But if you're not worried about your safety and going to the shady guy on the corner, by all means, you're probably getting a better deal. So we'll just say 83% more. Good point, intern Dan. But you know, and here's another one. This one, this one was another like half-washed data point that I was just like, good point, but I think it means that this is not a good for cash. Because they found out that tips, if you're paying with a credit card, you likely tip around 17%. Okay. Cash tippers only tip around 15%. So once again, it's a savings, but 
Bo, you come from a server's background. Yeah, this one I thought, so what I thought was so funny is Daniel started saying, yeah, look, man, you know, the folks who pay with credit cards, they spend more money. They just spend more on the tip. And I was reading that like, man, are credit card users just more generous? Because look, I worked in the fast, not fast food, in the food service industry all through college. So I understand the grind of what it is to wait on tables. Here's the deal. Somebody's bringing your food and they're taking care of it. You know, in my opinion, my humble opinion, this is not prescriptive. This is not going to show up in an order of operations. But when you go out to eat, you should tip 20%. Now, if it's bad service, okay, tip 18. But but I'm just saying that's the, you know what I mean? That's sort of my take on it. If someone delivers exceptional service, whether you're paying cash or credit card, you should tip them well. Because, you know, I used to live in that. used to be how I, not how I fed my kids. I didn't have any kids back then. But it used to be how I fed myself. That's how I paid for Taco Bell back then. So, so 15%. I'm, if somebody tipped you 15%, was that a, was that a good tip? Well, now here's the, here's the truth of the matter. 15% you're probably still happy with. You're always okay. hoping for 20%. But so you're saying the majority of people, when you were a server... At a national retail, I mean, it was a chain where I've eaten at this. This was my date night location yeah, yeah, in college. Yeah, yeah. I know where they, they have some baby back, baby back. You know, is that okay? Is you it? it. No, you did awesome. <laughs> so, anyway, but you think about you this. If you think about this chain that Bo used to be a server at. It, I mean, what was the average tip? You know, I, I think it probably was somewhere between ten to fifteen percent. Okay, which which I think is which I think is wild because yeah, probably ten to fifteen percent. Uh, look. Tip 20%. That's my that's my thing. So let's talk about the money guy way. You know where we fall on this. I've said it before. We didn't pull up the goofy slide again. Although one of us did lobby I for wanted that slide. It. Credit card debt is supposed to be like unicorns and dragons. It's yep. something you read about, hear about, but it's not something you experience for yourself. Right. Remember that. It is great if you want to set up Money Guy Way is if there's things that you're going to pay naturally. Think about your utility bills. Mm-hmm. Think about insurance premiums. Things that it, there's no play on behavior of it's changing the price. Go get the rewards on this stuff. Just make sure you're paying it off every month. I think it's perfectly fine to set up automatic payments on things like that. It is a dangerous tool if you treat it like that. Treat it like a, a knife, a chainsaw. I've used so many different analogies. Just know that this is a tool that if you're not respecting it, you're probably not using it appropriately. And then, Bo, you, you put this last one on there. Yeah, here's the thing. I feel like I have to do this new disclaimer. I'm giving myself an asterisk every time we talk about credit cards, use credit cards, whatever. Yes, personal finance is 80% behavioral. So if you're someone who can't use it well, can't use it responsibly, don't use it at all. But 20% of personal finance is mathematics. And if you are behaviorally sound and you care about the mathematics, credit cards, when used correctly, can be an asset to your financial circumstance. Yeah, and I think I think the audience of the Money Guy show, we know that we are dealing with that 20% that aren't blowing it up. Mm-hmm. I mean, millionaires don't struggle with credit card debt. If you're if you're struggling with credit card debt, you probably need to go work on some basics. It is. It just is what it is. But if you if you know that you can handle the discipline, you you got you're paying yourself first, you're you're our type of hoax. I don't mean to go on a sidebar, but this Somebody comment, wrote a comment just came in. For, this is from D Vortex said how on earth were you budgeting $50 takeout when you first wed when you tipped 20%? We did the show when I first got married, and my eating out budget for me and my wife was 50 bucks. I just got called out hardcore right there. It's <laughs> an old school call out. I didn't take her to really nice places. That was kind of my answer to that. Uh, yeah, that's, that's freaking actually hilarious. true. Number six, extended warranties. Now, 
Yeah, that's a rip because uh, you just said with credit cards, right? The extended warranty kind of came in on the credit card. Well, there's a common trend here that some of our other themes, salespeople are usually associated with extended yep. warranties because they are highly profitable. $40 billion business of selling extended warranties. And guess what? A third of you out there listening have bought some type of an extended warranty, typically on appliances. I see you're getting sidetracked with the comments. No, no, no. Did anybody throw anything no, great no, no. out I just, there? This is what I thought was so interesting. You said a third have bought it on appliances. You know, I would not have thought that home appliances was a thing. I would not think that's where most people buy extended warranties. Well, the research shows that, and this is Consumer Reports, even though I got to tell you, I still get my Consumer Reports magazine. Another trash session on Tesla in the most recent <laughs> up issue. If you read this thing, I'm like, nobody at, at Consumer Reports owns a Tesla. It's just obvious because they're, they're rating. Oh, it, it just I'm so going. excited I'm so to sorry. hear all the Consumer Reports <laughs> listeners who own Teslas that are going to. But like, Consumer Reports, they did come out and they, they shared about the appliances. Usually the repairs on appliances are much smaller. Mm -hmm. I mean, a, an appliance repair might for, for a part be 120 bucks, sure. 150 bucks. You're going to find the, the extended warranty really isn't saving you any mm -hmm. money. So be very aware of that, and that's why and, it's a ripoff. And I think the math that we saw was for most appliance extended warranties, they would have to come out for two to three service calls before it actually made up for the cost of the extended warranty. And things are just too cheap. Usually it's just disposable after a while. So let's talk about Money Guy Way. Know what a ripoff is and what it's worth. The two big things I wanted you to take away from this section on extended warranties is smartphone extended warranties and tablets, oh, yeah. yep. probably worth it. Absolutely. I mean, think about, I can tell you, my own spouse has cracked multiple screens. I have torn up one Apple Watch that I fortunately, yeah, I mean, this is the this is the Model 4, I think. Right, yeah, yeah. A week after I had this phone, nobody at my house is taking credit for it, but the back was completely cracked. And I know, I think I know what happened is because I know where the phone, char I mean, my watch charges at night. I think somebody might have accidentally knocked it off from where it's put, charges. Put it back up there real quick. And put it back up there and acted like nothing happened. But nobody is officially taking credit at my house. But if I did not have the Apple Care warranty on this, I had to buy a whole new watch. It was much easier. So things like that, because think about it, we're walking around with our phones. We're in all kind of crazy places, precarious things where yep. we're holding our phone over ledges and other things. Get the warranty on that. It's probably worthwhile. Yep. Um, do your research also vehicles, extended oh, warranty on vehicles. Yep. Here's the thing. I think that we have this entire industry is now set up to where we can very easily through the internet figure out what a car costs, what the markup is, what options cost. Yep. You do all your homework on that, and then you get to the last step of the transaction, which is paying for it, and guess what? They roll out that finance guy, and he's going to say, guess what? I got some options for you. You want to protect this thing. You've done such a great job of negotiating, getting a good deal. But this is when they roll out. They got warranties on your wheels. Mm -hmm. They got warranties on, the. you know, do you want bumper to bumper yep. protection? I mean, you need to be prepared that somebody's going to pitch you on this because they might, all that hard work you did on negotiating one heck of a deal might be lost on that last step when you exactly right. help them make all that money back on the extended warranty. So here's my, my advice for you. Before you go pick up the car, because you might have already negotiated, I would advise you to already have the car negotiated. You need to know before you go in, are you buying an extended warranty or are you not buying an extended warranty? Because it's a mixed bag on whether you should buy it on a vehicle. If you're one of these people that drives a car for 10 years. But here's what most people don't realize. 
Extended warranties, I like them to be from the manufacturer, mm-hmm. which is getting to be a rare and right. rare event. But the second thing is, is that I remember when, now maybe this has changed, but I know when I bought the car previously, the Audi that right. my wife had, I mean, the, the Acura, she had an MDX. We bought that brand new, mm-hmm. drove it for a decade. We found out that you could actually buy Acura or Honda warranties directly from the mm-hmm. manufacturer from other dealerships. And still be protected. And there was a dealership up in the Northeast that was making an entire market of selling these things at dirt bottom prices. Yep. So I was I already knew what the warranty was going to cost. And I was able to usually have a, a, a few day period to go buy the warranty. You don't have to buy it. I think you might even get a thousand miles to buy your warranty. Yeah, I think go that's... do the research on that. But it's one of those things. Know what you're going to pay. Know, do your research. Just as like you, you find a deal on the buying of the vehicle. Do make sure you're getting a deal on the warranty if you want to do that. So the big thing I'm hearing for you, if you are thinking about buying an extended warranty on an automobile, it's not a solid yes or solid no, but know that before you get to the it leans definitely table. more to the no. I will tell you, I think because cars are so dependable these days. But if you're one of these people that worries about the cost of the repairs, um, I but I do think extended warranties rip off. But just know where you fall in it so you don't get ripped off even more than you have to. Love it. Last one, number seven, student loans. Okay, now, Brian, this this can't be a ripoff, right? Because... You're investing in yourself. It's good debt. You're investing in yourself. You are trying to further your own future potential. Student loans surely can't be a ripoff. And not all student loans are ripoffs. I mean, I will, I will say that, but you just need to go into it and think about, and this is the sad part. We think about education, it's in, the, it's in the fabric of society that education is one of those things, like we said, improving ourselves, That's making right. things better. But there is also, you have to start thinking about, unfortunately, student loans like you would when you walked on a car dealership. That's right. You start looking around. It's that uh, so many of my, 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 when we did the Dave Ramsey show, so many people in the comments said, you didn't talk about gazelle focus. <laughs> You know why we didn't talk about gazelle focus? Because we're lions, Bo. You don't have to have that gazelle type focus when you're the one ripping apart the gazelles. But (laughs) I will give them a shout out. Gazelle focus is when you walk on a car dealership because you're looking all around. You're like assuming everybody's coming to take your money. It's kind of gotten that to be that way with student loans. You have to do it. And the fact that if you don't, it's not just the the the, way, the institution, it's the major. It's There's so many things that go into it that you've got to be so careful, yep. you'll end up underwater. That's exactly right. So, and we put in, we want to put in a whole other sidebar on here because it's a definite ripoff. I mean, I, I ought to give it a little more than that, but corporate sponsored education. Oh, that's a, yep, that's a really big one. These are the colleges that are for profit. Private, for-profit colleges. They literally say that, for-profit yeah, for-profit. Colleges. These are the ones that you see the ads usually at night or even during the day. I mean, you know, because they know if you're sitting at home during the day or late at night, you're probably not work, getting up to go to work <laughs> the next morning. So they're perfect time to try to sell you on That's something. Right. So these are the schools that are online. And listen, this is how bad they are. 22.7% of students for at for-profit colleges default on their loans within three years of entering the repayment period. That's compared to the national average of 7.5% for not nonprofit colleges and 11% for college, you know, for public colleges. So, so 20 so least, almost 23% versus 7.5 and 11. So it's two to three times worse, depending on what you're talking about, public colleges. Or the um, not for not for profit colleges, and then the graduation rate is also abysmal. Fifty four percent of students seeking bachelor's degrees and sixty three percent seeking associate degrees left the school with no degree. Guys, that's greater than half. That is not good. So half of the folks who 
choose to pursue a for-profit university end up not actually graduating. And then if they do graduate, roughly a fourth to a fifth of them default on their loans inside of the first three years. No, it's just horrible. Just so here's, here's the money guy way. As a generic guideline, you should, you know, don't take more student loan debt than you plan on making your first year right. out of college. Research your degree. If your degree is in basket weaving, I had to make, you know, I had to go full, pull one out of the old historic, you know, memory banks of what's a major you can make fun of. Is basket weaving, you don't probably don't need to go to a private school. Right. You probably don't need to go take out a ton of student loan for it. Your money might be served doing something much better. But there's sure. lots of people. I do think it's it's an epidemic we have right now where institutions are willing to let 17, 18, 19-year-olds build up six figures worth mm -hmm. of debt. That's just that's wrong. Yep. I mean, this is stuff that they'll never be able to get out from underneath. So just realize student loans rip off. So I think what's really interesting is that all these you just said you said this, Brian. We did a show back in September of 2018 talking about financial ripoffs. A lot of these aren't like brand new things that have come up, but all these are different than yeah. well, the ones that were on our previous Completely show. Completely different than the other show. There are constantly people out there that are trying to get in your back pocket, take advantage of you. And by listening to shows like this, educating and forming yourself, you set yourself up to not be taken advantage of. You set yourself up to be the general for the army of dollar bills that your army deserves. So... Here's the ask that we have for you guys. We're going to constantly keep loading you up. Remember, we have this whole thing about abundance cycle. Our motivation is for you to be successful, get to that next level. So when you reach that level of success, that you want to, you know, complexity, you just don't have time in the day, that you want somebody to look over your shoulder and give you advice, we hope you'll think of a bound wealth. But we, there's another step in the process. I want you to go to our website, give us our email, give us your email address right there on moneyguy.com because that's the place where we'll send you all type of resources, yep. advice, and other things that's going to help you out in your path towards success. So go give us that email address, that zip code. So when you're neck of the woods also, maybe we can drop by and um, do it, you know, because we do plan on doing some more location like, type like things that. in the future. I We're like working that. That's, on it. That's an exciting Easter egg you just dropped. It, we cannot come see you unless we know where you are. So go out to the website, give us your email address, give us your zip code, let us know where you are, uh, and we will. We got some exciting stuff coming. Got close. We're close to crossing over 33,000. If you're watching this out on YouTube or if you're listening on iHeartRadio, Stitcher, iTunes, and you have not gone out to subscribe on YouTube, click below, subscribe. That is a real time counter behind us. Uh, click on the, what do you, what do you say? Ring the bell. Ring, Ring the, the bell. bell. So you get notifications every time we have new content out there. So, cause y'all remember last show we did, well, no, it was, it was, it was we were not even at 32,000 last show. Now we're crossing 33. I mean, we're, we're, we're cranking through this thing. So I, it's awesome. Check this out. Mar Maryland and Monroe, which by the way, is just a fantastic name on YouTube. Uh, I've only been on your email list for about a week, but I've already gotten some great tips. Look at right that. There. Testimony. Ring right the bell. There. Ring the bell. Awesome. Guys. Thanks so much. I'm your host, Brian Preston, Mr. Bo Hansen. Keep the questions coming also for the Ask the Money Guy series, and then make sure you give us that email address, moneyguy.com. We'll talk to you soon. The Money Guy podcast is hosted by Brian Preston. Brian Preston is a principal with Abound Wealth Management. Abound Wealth Management is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Security and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with the securities laws and regulations. Abound Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Money Guy podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice. Mm -hmm.